Hey, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 today, titling the message, Firm Foundation Christianity, Firm Foundation Christianity. And we're just going to be looking at the first five verses as we talk about our, our foundation and uh, as we kind of figure out, is our, firm, is our foundation firm or is it kind of squishy? <laughs> I was driving a tractor in my backfield yesterday and um, it's a smaller tractor and I didn't realize that it had two-wheel drive and four-wheel drive. And so I must've been driving it in two-wheel drive because it just kept bottoming out. I think the sand, I think, in the, on the Mesa mixed with all the rain that we've had, I think it just softened everything up. And you would think it would kind of firm it up, but it softened it up. So I kept bottoming out. My, truck, my tractor is stuck in the backfield until another day. And I'll, <laughs> I'll dig it out another day. But... Um, you know, it's kind of uh, our, our lives, they just get a little squishy if we don't have spiritual lives and just in general, if we don't have a firm foundation, um, we're just susceptible to that kind of, kind of uh, collapse. Um, I sold building materials for years before I was in the ministry and so I'd go into a job site and you see all these tractors driving around and, and they'd be <clears throat> doing all kinds of work, infrastructure type work, uh, power, water, sewer, gas lines. They're doing all this stuff in preparation for a building or buildings that will be on site. And if you don't do all of that preparation, you don't have the proper foundation, the infrastructure. So once all that stuff's in, then you can start forming up for concrete and getting ready to actually see some sticks come out of the air and see some see evidence that you've actually been doing something there for months. And uh, But all of that work that happens uh, before you actually see something come up out of the ground, it's just, it's crucial to the success of those buildings, those houses. They actually won't last without that, that foundation work going in. And so it's true for us as believers as well. We need to have a proper foundation in our faith. We need to understand what it is that we believe so that uh, when hard times come, we, we don't crumble beneath the, the burden of the difficulties that we experience in this life. We were singing that song about crushing and pressing, creating new wine, and about us surrendering so that new foundations can be, can be dug. I mean, this has been such a challenging season. This whole first part of the year has been so hard. And not just for me, like so Many people I'm talking to have just had a terrible first part of this year with sickness and death and all kinds of hard stuff in our lives. And listen, if our foundation is not firm, our, our Christian foundation is not firm, we're going to get mad at God, we're going to doubt God, we're going to walk away from God, we're going to be disobedient and just frustrated in who, with our lives and our circumstances. But when our uh, one of the lines in the song, um, when I trust, I don't have to understand, I think is what it said. When we, when we trust what, that God is up to something good, we, we don't have to understand all of, the, all of the stuff that he's allowing in our lives because he is up to something that we can't fully comprehend at the moment. So there's crushing and pressing, but out of that, there's new wine. Out of that surrender, he's still build, uh, digging new foundations. He's digging deeper. And uh, when you, uh, traditionally, when you put in a foundation, you kind of got to dig down a little bit and then um, do the work so that you can build a foundation that will last for, you know, 100 plus years. We've got some build, most of our old buildings on the West Campus are 
like over 100 years old, and they've got good foundations, and uh, so they continue to stand. So that's, that's my hope, and I, I think that's God's hope for us, that we would have just a firm foundation so that over the course of our lives, we're just steady and firm about what we believe and understand, and we're able to just continue to be salt and light. So firm foundations, Christianity. With that, let's pray real quick, and then we'll just jump into First John chapter 5. Lord, we pray because you're the author and the finisher of our faith. We look to you because you are the king. <laughs> you are the Lord. God, we declare our need for you, that we trust you. And so we don't have to understand everything that's going on. The, the crushing and the pressing, it's producing something uh, through all of that pain and discomfort. There's something beautiful coming. And so, Lord, whether we experience that today or tomorrow down the road, there's something that you're, you're, built, you're, you're strengthening us for. And I believe that. I believe that you're strengthening us for this season in our world, Lord, our culture. And so, Lord, we don't want to lose heart and get squishy with our faith, but we want to be firm by the grace of God, standing firm in Jesus' name, knowing what we believe, why we believe it, and what we're here in this earth to do. So Lord, help us to do so, believe, believing all of these things so that we stand firm and we have a firm foundation. In Jesus' name, amen. We're actually going to get our first, our three points, all of our points out of the first verse today. 1 John 5, 1. So I'll read the verse and give you the points and talk about it, and then we'll just wrap, you know, keep talking. It's going to be a long message today. So did everybody get some coffee? You think I'm kidding. It's not going to be really long today. It's, do you guys, do we need another coffee break? If we're good? Okay, good. Steve's good in the back. I, I, if he's good, I'm good. So here we go. It may not be that long, but I figured I'd tell you, you know, ha have your expectations way out here, and then if it's shorter, then you're like, oh, that wasn't too bad. But if I say it's going to, you know, be normal service and it goes long, then you're kind of mad and kind of frustrated. So it's going to be really, really long and painful. There we go. <clears throat> here we go. First John 5, 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of God of him. Firm foundation Christianity, number one, we must believe that Jesus is the Christ. What does that mean? <laughs> what does it mean that Jesus is the Christ? Christ is not Jesus's last name. It is his position. It is his title. Christ means anointed one. Christ is the Greek word, and the equivalent in the Hebrew is Messiah. Christ is the Messiah. He is the king. As we think about yesterday in England, the coronation of King Charles, King Charles was anointed the king of England. As we think about the Old Testament, the prophet Samuel would anoint the king. He anointed Saul as king and then David. There was a, a process whereby people recognized the person, the work, and the authority of another. Jews have long believed when the Bible talks about Messiah the Jews had long believed that God would send a Messiah to be uh, the savior of mankind. And as we read through the Old Testament, we see pictures, prophetic words 
messianic prophecies that speak of Jesus. And if you read Isaiah 53 specifically, there's uh, prophetic words that, I, that speak to exactly what Jesus experienced in the earth. Jesus declares himself in his earthly life and ministry to be the long-awaited Messiah, the one that the Jewish people had been waiting for. You can read about that in Matthew 16, Luke 4, John 4. Jesus declares himself to be the Messiah. He is the Messiah who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus also declares himself to be the Christ, the anointed one, the king in Luke 24, 46 through 47. After his resurrection and right before his ascension, Jesus is talking to his followers and this is what he says. Luke 24, 46 and 47. Then he, Jesus said to them, thus it is written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. Who is he talking about? He's talking about himself. What had just happened? Well, Christ was crucified and buried and resurrected on the third day. So before his ascension, he's reminding his followers that everything that has happened was necessary and it was written about. Thus it is written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Verse 47, and that repentance, repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So realizing that this that had been written about and communicated about was, had happened, had unfolded before their very eyes. Now they had this responsibility to take this message of the Christ, the Messiah that had come. They had this responsibility and this opportunity and this, this this, this responsibility to take this message to those in their sphere of influence and beyond. So we must believe, we must believe that Jesus is the Christ as part of our firm foundation. And to believe that he is the Christ goes far beyond an academic uh, ad, ad, admittance uh, declaration. So if Jesus is the Christ, if he is the son of the living God, if he is the anointed one, the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords, then what do I do with that? John is challenging his people, his readers then and now that we've got to do something with this revelation, with this information. Jesus is the long awaited anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. We must believe that Jesus is the Christ as part of our firm foundation. Number two, we must believe we are born again. Ephesians 2 says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, but God made us alive together with Christ. So before Christ, we were dead, spiritually dead in our trespasses and sin, but God through Christ made us alive again. We were dead and now we are alive. John 3, Jesus said that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so we see this process where we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of a living God. And it's not just believing it here, but it's believing it here. And out of the believing here and here, there's a life transformation where we declare by God's grace that we have been born again, that 
we are new creatures, a new creation in Christ. That means we've got new purpose and new identity and a new agenda for our lives. We must believe we are born again. Uh, getting saved is not, well, it's not fire insurance or life insurance. It's not like joining the gym where you're joining the church or becoming a, it's not that, it's, but it's the life transformational process of recognizing that I am dead in my trespasses and sin, but God, God rescued me and he gave me new life because he forgave me and he has set me free. And so my life is brand new. I am a born again follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And without that process of being born again, I actually never see the kingdom kingdom of heaven. Without that process, I haven't fully understood and believe that Jesus is the Christ. Because if I believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the anointed one, that he is the long-awaited Messiah, if I believe that here and here, my life will be transformed. I will be born again in Christ. And part of that firm foundation, number three, we must believe in our call to love. John talks about this. The beloved disciple talks about this over and over again. We unpacked it quite a bit last week, but in John chapter three and four, a lot is written about our responsibility to love. Listen, as born again believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the capacity to do what we cannot do in the natural. We've got the capacity to believe that he is the Christ, to believe that we're born again and that we can love the people in our lives. We have this profound responsibility to love people if we believe everything that we're talking about today. So let me ask you the question, does it matter? Does it matter what we believe about Jesus? Yes. And actually our salvation hangs in the balance because a lot of people believe a lot of different things about Jesus and they're not saved. They have not been born again. It actually matters what we believe about Jesus because what we believe about Jesus impacts our eternity. It impacts the way we live here and the way that we'll live for eternity. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 13, it says, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation, through sanctification, by the Spirit, and belief in the truth. Salvation is a gift from God for those who believe and for those who believe the truth. Again, people believe all kinds of different things about Jesus, and Jesus knew this. He knew it then in his earthly life and ministry, and he knows it now. And so it's really important that we understand what the Bible says about Jesus. In Matthew 16, 13 through 17, it says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, Caesarea Philippi and asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? He, he knew that everybody had a different opinion about who he was. And so he's asking his followers, who do people say that I am? What is the scuttlebutt? What is being said in the culture? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who, who do you? Because <laughs> that's where the rubber meets the road in our lives. Who do you say that I am? I know what the world thinks about me and 
what they say, but what do you say? And that's the question for us today. What do you say about, what do you, who do you say that Jesus is? And Simon Peter replied in verse 16, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter waffled a bit in his faith like maybe you have and maybe I have, but somewhere along the line, he had to get firm in his foundation about what he believed about Jesus. And he knew you are the Christ, the anointed one. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. There was a deposit from heaven into Peter's heart and mind, and he believed. We can't believe without the deposit from God revealing truth, supernatural truth to us. Jesus asked them what they believed because... Not everybody believes the full truth about Jesus. As many people as you ask, you will get different opinions about who this historic figure was. But we must believe the full truth about Jesus if we are to serve him and live for him. If we don't believe the full truth about who he is, then we're gonna be wishy-washy in our service and our belief. We're gonna be wishy-washy about who we are in this life. What do others believe about Jesus? Specifically, what do other religions believe about Jesus? We'll just unpack that for a few minutes, if that's all right. What do others say about Jesus? Judaism believes Jesus was crucified on the cross, meaning they believe that he was a historical figure, a man who was crucified. But they in no way believe that he was resurrected from the dead. They believe that Jesus died on a cross as a man, but in no way do Jews believe that he was resurrected from the dead. Paul, a Jew of Jew, Jews, wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. If Christ has not been resurrected from the dead, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. So is our faith. Why? Because if Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead, then everything he said about himself was a lie because he claimed to be the Christ. He claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed to be God incarnate. But if he didn't resurrect from the dead, he's just another, just another dude. He was claiming crazy things about who he was. So who is Jesus? He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord, He's a liar if he's not who he said he was. He's actually a crazy man if he's not who he said he was because he went around telling people, I am the Christ, I am the Messiah, I am the son of the living God. So if he's not that, he's a liar or he's a lunatic. If he is who he said he is based on his life, his power, his death and his resurrection, if he is who he said he is, then he is Lord and he must be revered as Lord in our lives as a church, culturally and, and publicly, and, and, but also in our lives personally. We have to declare that he is Lord of our lives. So what do others believe? Some believe that Jesus is a God, a small G God, one of many, many gods in the universe. Some Hindus are more than willing to acknowledge Jesus as divine if he is not seen as uniquely divine. 
Hindus often worship many gods and goddesses, and some are eager to include Jesus in their list of deities. They don't, however, see Jesus as the only way to God. Everybody's got a different opinion, unless we're pulling our opinion, getting our information from the Bible. Most believe Jesus was a holy man. The current Dalai Lama often describes Jesus as a holy man and includes Jesus in his list of such people. In fact, the Dalai Lama does not typically elevate Buddha to a greater status than Jesus when discussing the two figures. The Dalai Lama met frequently with the Pope in the early part of the 21st century and showed great respect for the teaching and person of Jesus Christ. But you can't actually show, you can't actually show great respect for the teaching and person of Jesus Christ if you don't acknowledge that he is who he said he is. (laughs) You have to declare that he is a liar and a lunatic, a crazy man. You can't decide that he's a holy man or a good teacher based on the way he lived his life if he's not the resurrected king of kings and lord of lords. Hindus believe Jesus was a wise teacher. Most Hindus respect the teachings of Jesus, and some have even committed themselves to his teachings. Mahatma Gandhi, for example, admired the teachings of Jesus greatly, particularly the Sermon on the Mount, even though he was not interested, listen to this, even though he was not interested in Jesus as a true historical character, Gandhi saw Jesus as a symbol of superior ethics and revered his teachings. What do Mormons believe? We have Mormons all around us. What do they believe? Let's watch a six and a half minute video by Jeff Durbin as we discuss the topic. The Mormon says Jesus Christ, Heavenly Father, resurrection, Bible, salvation, cross, All those things. They use our language. They speak our ghetto language. They borrow it, but they pour entirely different meanings into it at every point. When the Christian says, ready, Jesus Christ, you are immediately right now interpreting. When you think Jesus Christ, you're automatically, as a believer, thinking in terms of what the Bible tells you about Jesus Christ. You're thinking John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him nothing came into being that came into being. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. And He is the monogamous theos, the unique and one-of-a-kind God who is in the bosom of the Father. He has made the Father known. You're thinking about that. You're thinking Colossians 1, that He is the firstborn over all creation. Prototokos means He has the preeminence. He is the firstborn over creation. doesn't mean born. It means firstborn over creation as in he is the heir over all creation. The firstborn. He is the heir. He has all preeminence. And it says in him, in Jesus Christ, all things were created, whether in the heavens or on earth, visible or invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things created through Jesus Christ. You see, we all do that, right? When you say Jesus Christ to a Mormon... They are thinking, immediately redefining, Jesus Christ, the literal offspring of Heavenly Father, Elohim, and one of his goddess wives in the preexistence. Jesus Christ, Lucifer's spirit brother, not the creator of Lucifer, his spirit brother. Classic Mormonism taught that Jesus Christ came into the world 
was a polygamist. His atonement began in the garden, was finished on the cross. Your works end up being the basis, ultimate basis, of whether or not you are making it into the celestial kingdom, the highest kingdom. Mormonism teaches about Heavenly Father, that He is one God among many gods. That He had a God before Him, who had a God before Him, who had a God before Him. It's an infinite regression of gods, and ultimately the goal in Mormonism is to become a god or goddess over a planet, just like the God of this earth did. Joseph Smith said, many men say there is only one God in the history of the church. He says, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are only one God. He says, I say that's a strange God anyhow. Three in one, one in three, it's a curious organization. All going to be crammed into one God according to sectarianism. He said he'd be a wonderfully big God. He'd be a giant or a monster. He says, I wish to declare I have always and in all congregations when I have, when I have preached on the subject of the deity, it has been on the plurality of of gods, many gods. When Joseph Smith gave the pearl of great price to the Mormon people, there are four standard works, the Holy Bible, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and the pearl of great price. When he gave the pearl of great price to the Mormon people, he redefined and retold the story of creation. Instead of in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, he said, in the beginning, the gods created the heavens and the earth. In the King Fallout Discourse, he said, in the beginning, the head of the gods came together and formed a council. The head of the gods came together in the council of gods. Many gods. Joseph Smith says this in the King Fallout Discourse, his most clear message he ever gave on the subject of God. He says the message was given to him by the Holy Spirit. So it's direct revelation from God. It's not, his, it's not his own understanding and interpretation. He said it was from the Holy Spirit. And he says this, I'm going to tell you how God came to be God. I'm going to tell you how God came to be God. He says we've imagined, we've imagined and supposed that God has been God from all eternity. He says, I will refute that idea and take away and do away the veil so that you may see. You've got to learn to become gods yourselves the same way all gods have done before you. That is the substance of the Mormon faith. It's not, listen, for the Christian. We say, like, what the gospel is about is that we get God. Piper has a book. I love it. The title. It says, God is the gospel. That's it. For the Christian, the good news is I get him. It's not, I get to go to heaven one day. We got to get away from that. By the way, that's not how the apostles preach the gospel. Do you not want to go to hell? Do you want to go to heaven one day? Pray this prayer with me. Not the gospel. Not the gospel. Not how it was preached. The apostles preach the gospel of reconciliation and peace with God through what Jesus did. They call people to repentance and faith to be reconciled now. So for the Christian, we hear about Jesus and the gospel. We think about, I have Jesus and he has me. I know God. I'm forgiven. I'm at peace. For the Mormon, salvation isn't simply being reconciled to God and peace with God. For the Mormon, it is working through exaltation to move through 
the different levels of heaven ultimately through your obedience, through temple service, through baptism for the dead, through genealogies, through your works of righteousness, through your tithes, not simply because of the work of Jesus Christ, who's a different Jesus anyway. It's working through exaltation to become a god and goddess over a planet, just like the god of this world did. But they use our terminology. And so the goal in evangelism with the Mormon is to get through the basic surface level Christian language. It sounds like the, uh, the garden, when it was promised, you shall be like the most high God. The, the enemy's tricks are the same as they've always been. What do the New Age movement believe about Jesus? Nothing could be more diverse than the New Age movement when related to the identity of Jesus. Perhaps most striking, however, is the pluralism and relativism existing within the movement. But any attempt to identify Jesus as the singular God of the universe will surely be Rejected. Many New Age believers are willing to consider the teachings of Jesus, however, and the Christhood of Jesus is often described as something all of us could attain. In this sense, Jesus is seen as a man who completed a process of spiritual evolution, ever successive generations of reincarnation becoming an enlightened master. <laughs> Biblical Christianity declares that Jesus is the only way to God. We have to be okay with the narrowness of the gospel. We have to be okay what the Bible, about what the Bible says, that the, the, the way to life is narrow and few are on that path. Wide is the road to destruction and many are on that path. We have to be okay with the idea that the gospel is narrow and the way to the Father is only through Jesus Christ. In this culture, we're way too easily offended and we don't want to offend anybody. And so our desire to be friends with everybody hinders our ability to minister to anybody at all because we're afraid that if we speak the truth in love, it will be rejected. But I believe that if we will speak the truth in love, letting people know because of our love for them and our love for God and for our love for the truth, if we will speak the truth to them in love, they will begin to hear something from the Holy Spirit, will plant seeds in their lives. And at that moment or somewhere down the line, as we continue to plant seeds and water those seeds, God will have the opportunity in that person's life to save them and to bring them into eternal life because they've trusted Jesus. But we're so afraid to offend somebody by telling them the truth that we don't ever speak up. And we look at the surface of what people believe and we're duped into believing the same things that we believe as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. I was talking with, over the years, I've talked to a lot of people, but recently I talked to a guy who had an encounter with a Muslim family at a coffee shop. And he had many encounters with this Muslim family. And they talked about how much they love Jesus. And 
as he had these encounters with them, he began to believe that they served the same Jesus that we as Bible-believing Christians serve. I said, no. I said, you have to look deeper into what they really believe. They don't believe what we believe as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't believe that Jesus is the anointed one, the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah, that he died for our sins and that the only way to the Father is through him. They do not believe that. I had another conversation with a friend of mine who was at this particular church for 40 years, had served in leadership at this church, had been an elder in this church over the course of 40 years. And he had a, a, a guy that at work that he worked with who was a Mormon. And he came to me and he said, I think Mormons are Christians. I think that they believe in the same Jesus that we believe in. And I said, no, they don't. I said, you have to look deeper at what they really believe. You can look at an LDS website and you can see that they keep it very surface. And if you're not careful, you can buy into the idea that they actually believe what we believe. They do not, as has been evidenced by this uh, video, we, they do not believe what we believe. And so we have to understand and be okay with the narrowness of the gospel. And if we're not okay with the narrowness of the gospel, we, we will never stand firm and believe what Jesus said and what he had called us to do. But when we believe that he is the anointed one, the Christ, the son of the, the living God, that he is the one and only Messiah and that he is the one and only way to God the Father. When we believe that and when we have our minds and our hearts transformed by that truth such that we are born again, we think differently, we believe differently. We live differently when we are born again and then begin to live our lives the way that God has called us to live our lives, loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then loving others as ourselves. When we have a firm foundation, we will begin to live victoriously, having that firm foundation under us. But sadly, the result is that 70% Nearly 70% of born-again Christians disagree with the biblical position that Jesus is the only way to God. Seven out of 10, 70 out of 100, 700 out of 1,000. You do the math. 70% would disagree with the assertion that God, that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. The survey also found that among the top reasons given by born-again Christians for not telling others about their faith is the acceptance of pluralism, universalism. All roads lead to Rome. Every person's faith will ultimately lead them to God. It's absolutely a lie from the pit of hell. It's absolutely not what the Bible teaches. And it's absolutely what we need to get our hearts and minds around to believe what Jesus has called us to do so that we might live differently. If we don't believe that Jesus is the Christ and all that that implies, that he is the Christ, the anointed one, the only Christ, the only anointed one, the Messiah, if we don't believe that, that apart from him, we can never find new life and find the Father. If we don't choose to believe that, we will never, we will never really have a born again experience. We will never really live our lives the way that God has called us to live our lives. So the survey also found that among the top reasons given by born-again Christians for not 
telling others about their faith is the acceptance of pluralism. When asked why they don't share their beliefs with others, born-again respondents chose they can get to heaven through their different religious beliefs. We shouldn't impose our ideas on others. And the Bible tells us not to judge others. Those are their top three answers for not doing specifically what Jesus has called us to do before his ascension to his followers, then and now. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But if we never get beyond a mental ascent, if we never get beyond just the academic understanding that Jesus is the Christ and allow that truth to transform our lives and our hearts such that we are born again, like Jesus said must happen if we were to see the kingdom of heaven. And without that, that born again experience that changes the way that we live our lives, we will never do the stuff that God has called us to do. We need to be sure of some things about our faith according to the Bible. The apostle Peter declared in Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else. And there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In the amplified version, the very end, it says, for God has provided the world no alternative for salvation. This is what the Bible says. This is what the first, gener first generation uh, Christians believe, first century Christians believe. This is what throughout the, the rest of history, Bible-believing saints have believed. God has provided the world no alternative for salvation. That's why he's told us, you gotta believe the truth. And in that belief, have your life transformed. And out of that transformation, live differently as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the problem is that we hear it and we believe it. We believe that he's the Christ. And we may even say that he's our Christ, that he is our Lord, that he is our King. But it hasn't changed the way that we live our lives. So there's a mental ascent, maybe even a heart ascent. We're saying, yeah, I believe that, but it hasn't actually changed our lives. And so we can say that we actually haven't really been born again because the evidence of having been born again is that we actually live differently. We look different. We speak different. Our lives are changed when we are born again. Instead, we can look around and the, our time is spent on the stuff that the world spends their time on. It's, we spend our time on um, our jobs, our homes, our portfolios, our vacations. We spend our time on pleasure and hobby and di distraction because we've forgotten who we are. We've forgotten that we've been saved by grace through faith, called and equipped to a work that will transform the world if we'll just give it a chance. <laughs> we, we gotta go back to the drawing board and say, am I believing what the whole wide world says about Jesus? Yeah, he was a good teacher. He was a holy man. He was all of these things. 
And is that the extent of what I believe about Jesus or do, do I believe that he is the, the Christ, the son of the living God, that he is the anointed one, that he is the Messiah and that apart from him, there's no way to the father, there's no way to heaven, there's no way to get your sins forgiven. God would not have planned from before the beginning of time to sacrifice himself on the cross for our salvation if there were any other means to reconcile sinful men and women to himself. We talked about the Garden of Gethsemane last week when Jesus is in the garden and he's, he's agonizing over what is coming. Father, if it's possible that this cup of suffering be removed from me, nevertheless, not my will be done, but thy will be done. If I must suffer for mankind, I will suffer for mankind. Jesus was willing to suffer, to be crucified, to be buried and then resurrected so that we might have life. Do you think if there was any other way that Jesus would have gone through that? It's, it's foolish to think so. There is no other way. And the way to life in Christ is narrow. And we gotta wake up to that reality and speak the truth in love, letting people know the truth. Now, God will not force reconciliation on us, but, but we gotta present the evidence. We gotta present the truth. Romans 10, 13 through 14, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how? Are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone, someone preaching? You say, well, I'm not a preacher. Well, <laughs> to preach means just to proclaim openly. If you're here today as a follower, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're here because someone proclaimed, preached to you the gospel and you heard it, you believed it and your life has been changed because of it. There is no other plan. There's not a plan B for reaching the lost in this world. And people, listen, without Jesus, people are lost. There are two places where people will spend eternity, either in heaven with the Lord or apart from God in eternal damnation, separated from God for all eternity. So we must proclaim openly. We must preach the truth. If we think we can slough off our responsibility in telling others, we do not understand the grace of God and our role as citizens of heaven living in the earth. We don't understand the grace of God and we don't understand our role here in the earth. It's not actually optional to share your faith. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ. And if you have been born again, you will do what Jesus has called you to do, to love him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you will love others as you love yourself. If you know someone's driving down a road with a cliff at the other end of it and you don't warn them of that cliff, you say, oh, have a nice drive. Is that a loving thing to do? It's the most ridiculous thing in the world. You would say, hey, wait, before you keep driving, there is a cliff. You're headed toward that cliff and you will die 
If you go over that cliff, the most loving thing to do is to warn, to speak the truth and love, to plant seeds. And so you may not see the person that you're speaking to come to faith in Jesus, but you will plant seeds, causing them to question what they believe, causing them to question what they understand about Jesus, causing them to question how they're living their lives. That's the loving thing to do. We get convoluted all kinds. We, we don't want to tell people they're heading in the wrong direction. Listen, one plus one is always going to be, really? Okay, one plus one is always going to be, I know we live in a crazy world now, but one plus one is always going to be two, no matter what anybody tells you. So if, if someone says one plus one is three, they are wrong. And it's okay to tell them, no, you're wrong. And if they get offended that you're telling them that they're wrong, good. We need our senses offended so we wake up and believe the truth. And so if someone is heading down the wrong spiritual path, it's incumbent on us to tell them, you are heading down the wrong spiritual path. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. Can I show you the way to life? And then we just begin to, tell them about the way to life. And so this is what is gonna happen when you get to heaven, should you make it by the grace of God. You will stand before the Lord and he's gonna say, what did you do? Because if it's about house, portfolio, bank accounts, vacations, hobbies, and distractions, that is like wood, hay, and stubble. It will be burned up. The only thing that will survive the testing fire, the purifying fire of God, is the things that are eternal. Everything is else is wood, hay, and stubble. So what are you spending the bulk of your time on? Is it gonna be burned up? The things that last forever are the things that you do for God. Praying for people, sharing the gospel with people, serving Jesus, serving people, loving God, loving others. That's the stuff that will last, like precious metals. So when you stand before the Lord, which you will all, I will, you will, he's gonna ask you, what did you do with your life? And if all you did with your life amounted to wood, hay, and stubble, it will be burned up and you will stand there alone without any good answer for the Lord. I'm just telling that's what's gonna happen. <laughs> this is what your future is. What you wanna be able to say is Lord, I'm here by your grace. And by your grace, I tried to use my talents for your kingdom purposes. I tried to love people who didn't deserve my love. By your grace, I shared the gospel with people who were not understanding the gospel. By your grace, I prayed for people. Lord, I had the opportunity to pray for people and believe with people that they would hear from you and, and, and find you and find new life in you. Lord, by your grace, I, I discipled these people. Lord, by your grace, I baptized these people. Lord, by your grace, I prayed with these people that they might know you and follow you. And by your grace, Lord, there are people here who by your grace, they would not have been here if I didn't speak up and step up. By your grace, Lord, I didn't waste my life. By your grace, Lord, I finished well because you're good and because you continue to haunt me with this reality and with this truth, 
Lord, I finally did something about it by your grace, Lord. Thank you that you saved me. Thank you that you called me for such a time as this. Thank you, Lord, that you put within my heart and my mind an urgency of the reality that I've got purpose in the earth. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You don't want to say, I built a great house, Lord. <laughs> you don't want to say, man, I had so much money in the bank. <laughs> you don't want to say, man, I had, some ama- I, I had some amazing vacations. You don't want to say that kind of stuff. Bad ideas when you're standing before the Lord. If you're a believer today, it's because someone proclaimed openly the truth about Jesus Christ to you. Truth is revealed to us by God when we hear, when seeds are planted. And the ability to live out that truth is given to us by God, as it was to his disciples, as it is to us who believe. It's revelation from God that causes us to believe that he is the Christ, And out of that belief, we're transformed and we're born again. That means I am living differently now that I'm a follower of Jesus. My life is different because I know Jesus. And out of that knowledge and transformation, others will know Jesus because I'm gonna love them into the kingdom. I'm gonna make sure that I'm not easily offended and holding a grudge and being angry at the people that God has put in my life because that's the tool of the enemy to get us angry and disjointed and out of, uh, just frustrated with people so that we won't share the gospel with them. But how about if we decide, man, instead of getting angry, man, I'm just gonna pray for this person. Instead of getting angry with them, I'm gonna figure out a way to serve them. I'm gonna... Kill them with kindness. I'm gonna win them with the love and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead of being angry, I'm gonna serve them. Maybe that's true of your neighbor. Maybe that's true of your spouse. Maybe that's true of your kids. Maybe it's true of your people at work. Man, truth is revealed to us by the power of God as he downloads revelation from heaven to us. And then truth is lived out as we submit our lives to him. Everything, I, I say this, way too often probably, but everything. And I say this purely and truthfully, everything that God calls us to do requires the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the word at work in our lives. We will not do it apart from that. So we gotta change our minds. We gotta allow ourselves to be born again because everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, has been born again, has been born again. And new, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Firm foundation Christianity. We must believe that Jesus is the Christ. If we don't, we're just wasting our time. If we haven't made Him the King of our own lives, we are wasting our time. Many will be lost because they had an academic understanding but failed to allow it to sink 18 inches into their, into their heart. If you're here today and you've got an academic understanding of God, let it sink into your heart. 
Because in sinking to your heart, that's where life change and transformation happens. That's where you're legitimately born again and able to live out the life that God has called you to live out. You must believe that Jesus is the Christ. We must believe we are born again. We must believe in our call to love others. Let's read these next few verses. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. <laughs> so Jesus made it very simple for us. When asked, what is the, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Verse three, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. It's not burdensome to love people. It's actually life-giving to love people. It's burdensome when we refuse to love people by the power of God. It's burdensome when we hold on to hate and unforgiveness. That's burdensome. It's not burdensome to agape love people, sacrificially life-giving love people. That's, that's life-giving. Like my whole existence is lighter when I just choose to love people <laughs> because God has empowered me to do so. It's a burden when I'm disobedient and, uh, and hateful toward the people that God has called me to love. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, our faith. God, by faith, I believe in you. By faith, I believe that my life has changed because I believe in you. By faith, I'm going to live differently as a result of what you have done for me. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? Full circle. What do you believe? <laughs> what do you believe? Is it academic or is it in your heart also? If it's only academic, it will never be life-changing. Maybe that's how you know. Ask yourself, has my life been changed because I believe in Jesus? If it hasn't, then maybe it's just an academic. You've grown up in church or you've heard something and you said, man, that, I, that makes sense to me. I'm gonna believe that and I'm gonna join the club. But if your life has been changed and you've been born again, then you know it's made that 18-inch drop been born again, so my life will be different. We decide. We decide. That's my life will be different. By God's grace, my life will be different. So we're singing about this song, the crushing and the pressing. Lord brings new wine. As we surrender to him, he's, he's building new foundations. There's something powerful at work in our lives. Even when we don't fully understand it, we know that God is bringing something, developing something, building something, strengthening something in our lives so that we can be more effective and a loving people, and a loving God. That's, that's the gospel. It's not fire insurance. It's not life insurance. It's not, hey, say this, and you go there. That's just not it. The gospel is give your life to Jesus and let him do whatever he wants with it because he saved you. <laughs> because he's good, not because you're good. With that, let's go ahead and stand up. Invite the worship team. We're going to take communion. Hey, can I just challenge you? Don't take communion if you're not. <clears throat> the, the scripture warns us that we got to take communion with the right heart. And so if your heart's not right with God, if you're, uh, if you're not willing to confess your sin and make Jesus the Lord of your life again today, 
maybe you've struggled this week and, and you're like, ah, I don't want to. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Don't come to the Lord's table with, without confessing your sin and confessing your allegiance and giving him your life afresh. Lord, I do that today. Lord, I'm so thankful for new life in you. And as much as I mess up in this life, God, you were faithful to forgive me and to keep me on the, <laughs> the right path, Lord. So I'm taking communion, Lord, in remembrance of what you did on that cross because there was no other way you gave your life. And so I'm taking communion today, Lord, because I'm remembering and I'm filled with gratitude. And I'm, I'm saying, Lord, I wanna keep fighting the good fight of faith, Lord. I don't wanna give up. I wanna finish well. So Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And so, Lord, we do that. We take it. We proclaim the death, the substitutionary sacrifice on the cross the propitiation, the cleansing, the removal of sin, Lord, we thank you for that. So Lord, as we worship, we're gonna be prayerful as we take communion, as we take the elements, Lord. We wanna worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen.